Hi, I'm Chick Herbert. I'm Melissa Knudsen. Welcome to Chiropractical. In light of Halloween, we went to the crypt to find our spookiest cases in the 75-year history of NCMIC. And while we're having a little bit of fun with this, it's also very serious business. Joining us today is Mike Whitmer. He's our Vice President of Chiropractic Programs. And new on Chiropractical is David Siebert. David is the president of our insurance company and has a long history working in our claims department. For all the claims that we're going to cover today, we have changed the names to protect the innocent and potentially the guilty. Mike and David, thank you for joining us to share some of these horror claims, we'll call them. Go ahead and get us kicked off with our first one. Thanks, Melissa. I'm going to start off by talking about Dr. Schmidt. He is a chiropractor who had a very successful chiropractic office. He had close relationships with his employees. And in fact, most of his employees were actually patients of the practice as well. Over the course of time, Dr. Schmidt began dating Miranda, who happened to be an employee that worked the Monday, Wednesday, and Friday shift. That was tough in and of itself, but he also, around the same time, began to date another employee named Terry, who worked the Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday shift. He swore them both to secrecy, as it would have looked really bad if he was dating an employee. It's worth noting that both Miranda and Terry were patients before they were hired by Dr. Schmidt. It's also important to note that they were best friends and would have monthly lunch dates to catch up. As you might expect, during one of these lunch dates, they both shared with each other this amazing man that had entered their lives. They were both really sure that this was the right guy and this was going to lead to a serious relationship. Needless to say, that joy and excitement turned to spite when they each learned they were talking about the same amazing man who happened to be their boss, Dr. Schmidt. When confronted by them, the doctor at first claimed they were both lying, but they could both identify a very distinctive tattoo he had on his body that is not visible when he was fully clothed. Did I mention that the doctor was also married and had a couple of kids? Both of these women ultimately filed claims against Dr. Schmidt alleging inappropriate relationship and malpractice. The case was tried and there was a very large verdict in favor of the plaintiffs. This case was entirely avoidable and provides some really good reminders, I think, for all of us. I would say this might be the spookiest of the spooky stories, and not to make light of it, but what a recipe for disaster this one has. Absolutely. There's a couple fronts for this disaster. One is these are both patients and their employees, so boundaries. Boundaries are always extremely important for doctors to pay attention to, and in this case, clearly, he violated all kinds of boundaries, dating employees who also happened to be patients. He really left the door wide open for a claim against him. And in this case, it was a civil judgment? What was the result? You talked about hefty payments. It was a civil judgment. In, in this situation, whether you're a doctor or an employer, you're coming from a position of power. And there's really an expectation that you're not going to abuse that power. This had a huge impact on his practice. This led to a board investigation. We, we had the settlement or we, we had the verdict. And then ultimately, this had a profound impact on his wife, his family, and on his standing in the community as a trusted healthcare provider. So this is a great example that poor decisions can lead to life-altering consequences. 
the word gets out. These cases hit the press. And it's very salacious. The issue is with chiropractors, it's not typically that chiropractor did this. It's chiropractors do this. They're painted with the same broad brush. So even though, yes, this behavior impacted this doctor in an extremely negative way, it also had a negative impact on the entire chiropractic profession. This is not the behavior people expect to see from their healthcare professionals. Salacious is a good word because any of these things are apt to get headlines. But a story like this with all of these different components, I think, is just ripe to be pronounced in the headlines and even more damaging to someone's reputation. Absolutely. One thing that I've learned from this case is that it's probably not a good idea to be married and then also dating potentially one or two patients or employees. Or anybody, for that matter, if you're if you're married. If you want more information on dating patients, if that is an issue for you, you need to be very careful. You need to really pay close attention to the risk management implications. Listen to our episode 13 of Chiropractical, where we took a deep dive into the issue of professional boundaries and the risk management issues surrounding it. David, going back to the crypt, let's talk about the next case. You bet, Chick. This case involves Dr. Rhodes, who was treating a 52-year-old female named Susan. She was alleging an injury to her left foot and ankle while undergoing lumbar adjustments. Dr. Rhodes testified that he never even adjusted the plaintiff's feet or ankles, but instead had performed some pretty standard range of motion testing as well as a leg length exam of Susan's feet and legs prior to adjusting. Susan, on the other hand, testified to an unbelievably dramatic scene where she was forcefully manipulated for five minutes straight. She was in extreme pain and she actually crawled out of the office while writhing in pain. So it was a very dramatic description. The Nick McClaims team prepared this case for trial. About 10 days before trial, we learned that the patient, Susan, actually decided to have her left leg amputated below the knee. The amputation was performed by a general surgeon because none of the orthopedic doctors would do it. The amputation also went forward without a psychological assessment, which is something you would typically see. And it sounds like the patient's rationale for the amputation was basically, it hurt so bad, I cut it off. This case became really scary because of those significant damages because of that amputation. Uh, on top of that, our doctor only had $100,000 in limits on the policy, which really didn't give us a whole lot of room to negotiate a settlement in this matter. Fortunately, though, there were a ton of positives for the defense of this case, and our defense team didn't feel that a settlement was in the best interest of the doctor. Dr. Rhodes kept really good records and told a very different story than the patient, which were, again, supported by those records. In addition, Dr. Rhodes was really professional, incredible, while the plaintiff, her testimony, came across as being really dramatic and not overly believable. Obviously, the amputation was the key to the plaintiff's case, as that was really what brought most of the damages to the case. But the amputation also raised a lot of questions about the patient's mental health and what was perceived as an unnecessary procedure that appeared to have been done to inflate the damages of the malpractice case. In the end, the case was tried before a jury and a defense verdict was returned. Uh, this was a very unusual case based on the allegations and the extremes the patient went to. So what can we learn from this? 
I love this case because the doctor did everything right. This doctor had their act together in their practice. There were good records. There was good informed consent. The doctor was professional, credible. There was really nothing to shoot holes in that part of the defense. So again, I go back to documentation, informed consent, the basics. Those really helped the doctor in this case because we were able to mount a great defense on his behalf. Yeah, having those records gave credibility to the doctor and to that story. And it really countered this unbelievable narrative that the patient had really tried to sell. And uh, at the end of the day, to, to Mike's point, that really saved the day in this case. The limits were low. Was that an issue? And what would the story have been had the record retention and documentation not been so clean? I think the limits are a really important point on this. Fortunately for this doctor, we were in a really good position with the defense. If we had not been in a good position, if there had been issues with the records, if the doctor had not been credible, had maybe been caught in a lie or something like that, which destroys the credibility of the defendant, we would have been in a much different situation. And we would have been in the situation of trying to negotiate a settlement. If the doctor consented, and we were going into settlement conference to try to work out how to get rid of this case. $100,000 is not a lot of money. And in this case, where on the surface it appeared there were significant damages, the plaintiff's attorney may have refused to settle it within policy limits, sending the doctor to trial with the possibility of an excess verdict with very low limits. It puts the doctor at risk. If we had a million dollars, we would be in a much different situation in negotiating a settlement on this case. Now, again, fortunately, the doctor did a very good job and we were able to confidently go to trial with this and not feel that the doctor was going to be in a risky position with an excess verdict. This was certainly a spooky case. Can you imagine this woman had her leg amputated to prove a point to potentially get some reimbursement from this case? Quite scary. Hit us with one more spooky case, guys. Dr. Jefferson was treating Tanya, who is a 28-year-old female, and she was an aspiring Golden Gloves boxer. She had a history of participating in extreme sports, and as you could imagine, she had a lot of health issues, so she needed a good chiropractor. After treating with Dr. Jefferson for a few months for cervical, thoracic, and lumbar issues, Tanya asked Dr. Jefferson if she would agree to accompany her to some of her boxing bouts. After some consideration, our doctor agreed to do that. After a pretty robust sparring session with a male boxer who happened to be a couple of weight classes above her, Tanya had complaints of head and neck pain. Fast forward, Tanya saw Dr. Jefferson for an exam and treatment subsequent to that injury, and it was documented that Tanya was neurologically intact. They, in fact, at that point, Dr. Jefferson and Tanya agreed to make a road trip for another upcoming bout. During that trip, Tanya continued to complain of both head and neck pain, and Dr. Jefferson provided undocumented chiropractic care. She didn't have any records. She wasn't doing an exam. In addition, she gave over-the-counter pain meds to the patient, as well as hydrocodone from her own personal prescription stash. This treatment regimen continued until the eve of Tanya's first bout. She did win that bout and was cleared for the pre- and post-fight exams by the ringside physician, but 
But later that night, Tanya again developed head and neck pain once more. Dr. Jefferson provided treatment, which was undocumented, and gave additional over-the-counter and prescription pain meds to Tanya. At 1 minute 32 seconds into the second round of her next fight, Tanya collapsed. She was rushed to a local hospital where she was diagnosed with a right temporal subdural hematoma and had subsequent ischemic strokes. Tanya had a lengthy and difficult hospital stay and was actually in the hospital for 38 days. She then went directly to a skilled nursing facility where she received follow-up care and PT for seven months. At that point, she was finally released to home care at her mother's residence. Tanya was permanently and totally disabled from this severe brain injury. To this day, she still suffers from chronic seizures. Her ability to walk is greatly diminished due to left side weakness. She's unable to speak clearly has cognitive and memory deficits, it seems unlikely she'll ever work again. A lawsuit was filed against our insured, Dr. Jefferson. Tanya's case relied upon the theory that she had sustained a concussion during the sparring sessions. The theory was her brain did not have time to heal before sustaining further injury from subsequent blows to the head, which in turn had a cumulative effect and caused the massive hematoma and the subsequent strokes. The allegations against our insured, Dr. Jefferson, were that she should have diagnosed the concussion first, she should have advised Tanya to stop fighting, and she certainly shouldn't have provided pain meds to mask the injury. She also should have advised the ringside doctor of the health issues prior to the fight. During the discovery phase of the case, Nick Mick learned that our doctor had actually provided dozens of undocumented treatments to Tanya. Consequently, the defense was severely handicapped. Also, while traveling with Tanya, Dr. Jefferson provided care in a number of states where she was not licensed. And then lastly, Dr. Jefferson, of course, had given the plaintiff her own personal prescription drugs. Because this case was virtually indefensible, Nick Mick ended up entering into settlement talks with the plaintiff with the consent of Dr. Jefferson, and the case was ultimately settled in the high six figures. So this is a case with a lot of lessons to take away. What did we learn? There's a lot to unpack on this case, and this one is particularly spooky in my opinion. Sports chiropractic is a type of specialty practice that requires special training, discipline, and practice. This is not something you do when you have an athlete walk into your office and say, I'm going to be your sports chiropractor. It's not just attending cool events. It's not just getting to do the cool things with the athletes. They have special needs. There's special training and certifications available for this. In this case, there were clear breaches of the doctor's ethical duty to take care of this patient and do what's in the best interest of this patient. We had undocumented treatments. We've talked at length about the important role that documents play in the doctor's defense, and we didn't have that here. I'd say the lack of records on this case, the lack of exam, the lack of treatment plan made an already difficult case nearly impossible to defend and put the doctor and our ability to defend her in a really tough spot. One issue was at crossing state lines and operating in states where she wasn't licensed. I suspect that's not all that unusual in terms of adjusting friends and family, potentially on vacations, et cetera. Is there a lesson learned there? 
Absolutely. It's not at all unusual. And it's becoming more and more common as chiropractors become more involved with athletes and teams. They're traveling more. It's important to understand that wherever you're treating a patient, you need to be appropriately licensed. Check with the licensing board of your state and the state where you're traveling to. Find out what they need. Congress did pass some legislation addressing this issue. It's not a cure-all for every issue around licensure with travel. So make sure that you're being careful and that you're practicing legally. Failure to do so is going to cause serious issues for you, board complaints. If there is a malpractice claim, it's going to be an issue in the defense there as well. Is it safe to assume that dispensing medications, you've got some things that get convoluted? This is a scope issue. Dispensing drugs, even if they're from your own personal stash, considered out of scope. This is going to be an issue with the defense, and it will go to the professionalism, credibility of the doctor, and then there's going to be board issues that result from that as well. In this case, it was controlled substance as well. Absolutely. So some illegal. I'm sure there were some licensing issues that came up as a result of this. One other issue that I'd like to call out in this case was the athlete was cleared to participate in the next round by the ringside physician. She told the ringside physician that she was fine, and then the doctor backed her up. The doctor had treated her earlier in the day for a fairly significant injury that she didn't disclose to the ringside physician whose job is to make sure that these athletes are safe. That clearly was not doing what was in the best interest of the patient. That was doing what was needed to clear that athlete for competition, not what the patient actually needed. Is there any culpability here with, in this case, the patient wanted to continue, said they were fine, did not say, yes, I wasn't feeling well earlier. Does that responsibility fall exclusively on the doctor in this case? At the end of the day, the doctor is the doctor. And the doctor has the responsibility, the ethical duty to act in their patient's best interest. So what would be that patient's best interest? Getting back in that ring for the next bout? or getting the medical attention that she needed in order to live out her life in a healthy manner rather than in the condition she is to this day. When you embark on a doctor-patient relationship, you're really taking on a lot of responsibility, especially as a sports physician here. You may have to make decisions that your patient's not going to be happy with. And I think in this situation, our doctor was probably struggling with that and ultimately did what the patient wanted, even though that wasn't in their best interests. There was a lot of lessons learned today. Don't date your patients, your staff members, not one or two both of the wrong number. Documentation is super key. You got to keep good records. It'll help keep you out of trouble. It's worth the time, the effort. So you should absolutely do that. And remember to always do what's right for the patient, not what's right for you in that moment. I want to go back though to the case where the doctor was dating two patients. Chick, you, you strike me as a guy who might get played. Do you have any stories? <laughs> I think I resemble that comment and I do have a funny story. In high school, I was dating a girl and she was the bomb and I was head over heels. She played softball and I'd show up at the softball field. I'd go to her dance recital. And I started to notice another guy who was about my age, my height, dressed like me, actually looked like me. And I thought, this is interesting. I wonder who he's here to see. And 
I struck up the conversation and he said he was there to see the same person I was there to see. The end of the story was we actually showed up at her house together. Her mom turned white when she opened the door and she called her daughter and we both confronted her. Neither of us married her. We became best friends and are still really good friends to this day. So it does happen. And yeah, I do have a little bit of a sucker in me. (laughs) Sorry to dig out some old wounds there. Yeah, that's another spooky thought that comes out of the, the crypt. Melissa, great episode. Mike Whitmer, if I hear him once, I hear him a hundred times. Records, patient consent, and having Mike on, I completely understand and empathize with his position because it's true. It really does come down to executing fundamentals and running a very clean practice. That's the lesson I've learned. Chick, if we ever do a spinoff of Chiropractical, maybe it could be a dating what to do, what not to do. But until then, Mike and David, thank you for joining us on this episode of Chiropractical. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed the spooky stories from the NCMIC crypt. As always, if you're interested in the show notes, you can go to ncmic.com and go to resources. Take care. Don't be spooky. You don't want Mike sharing a story about your case. Be well.